Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Shay Sparks, who is a certified fearless living coach and speaker, the CEO and founder of Sparks of Fire International, and the creator and host of the podcast, The Power of Investing in People. We have so much to talk about, so let's get right into this, Shay, and welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Summer. I'm honored to be here today. Well, I'm honored to have you. So let's begin by chatting about your background, your journey, and your mindset growing up. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So my, well, I'll start with my mindset growing up. I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and on a farm. And I think I had the mindset of, I'm a big city girl. I am not a farm girl, right? <laughs> and that actually served me very well. However, I think I also had this mindset of, I don't have a choice. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so tell us more about that. So it wasn't until literally like two years ago, my dad was diagnosed with two types of cancer. He was going through chemo and um, my brother had come for a visit. And so the three of us went out to dinner and we're having this, we're just, you know, eating dinner and he's sharing a story about how he was drafted into Korea. Now, what's crazy is that it didn't occur to me to ask more questions or whatever because he's never had talked about it my entire life. So I was just grateful that he was like giving me information. So this whole time of growing up, I always thought he was had enlisted into the army. And this was the first time I heard that he had actually been drafted. And as he's telling us the story of his experience there, There were a lot of things that he said that were just like, wow, like I had no idea my dad experienced something like that. And then he said, well, I just didn't have a choice. And it just, that phrase just like permeated my soul. And I thought, okay, where have I heard that before? Why? I feel like I've said that before. And so after that time, um, I really started to think about, okay, what is it that about that phrase that really like touched me so much? Jump ahead. um, Six months later, he unfortunately passed away. And Mm -hmm. that's when um, time really, uh, that conversation was allowing me to like reflect back on it. And I thought, you know, I'm pretty much sure that I felt like I didn't have a choice. When I grew up talking about mindset, my parents were get a job that makes a lot of money not find something you like to do, not explore your options, not, you know, try different things. It wasn't that. It was about just find what makes you a lot of money. Then I became into an abusive relationship. And I literally remember saying, well, I don't have a choice. I have to be in this relationship. I have to be here because I made my bed. I have to lie in it. Because that phrase was said to me most of my childhood. You made your bed, so now you have to lie in it. Like you have to deal with the consequences, right? Wow. Okay. And so that has really like escalated to a completely different. And I know that was a deep answer for your question. No, that's great. That's exactly where we wanted to go. I wanted you to kind of dive deep into this journey and this mindset because mindset kind of sets that foundation for 
where you're going and what's going on in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, I probably had had that up until my mid thirties. And then I got out of that abusive relationship and I was able to go, wait, I have a choice here. I can, statistics will tell you that abused women go back and be in another abusive relationship, or I have a choice to make, do something different. And I started to think, what is it that I don't know that I need to know in order to move forward? Okay, so that leads us to our next question. So in your bio, you speak of confronting addiction, abuse, being a bully and being bullied. You've touched on some, can you elaborate on the others, on the other topics? Yeah, so um, my family that I grew up in was not a nurturing, loving home, like, um, like the uh, Norman Rockwell painting that we, you know, right. I grew up looking at, right? And I, it was really more um, standoffish, sarcastic, uh, rude, I guess would be a good word, but not very, um, it, it was more like, I love you, I hate you kind of relationship. Like, I love you when I need something and then go away. I don't want to talk to you when I don't. Gotcha. And, um, but it wasn't like hate, hate. It was just that whole push and pull kind of relationship with not just my parents, but it was my brothers and my grandmother. Like those were the, the key people in my life who really um, molded me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it wasn't until this point where I'm looking at the, uh, you know, I'm healing from my relationship, my abusive relationship and thought, oh my gosh, he was the bully. Well, I thought back. So that also means I was a bully, number one. And then I think, well, where else had I been a bully in my life? I'm like, oh my gosh, when I was in, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, I was also bullying other people. And as a bully, hurt people hurt people. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I had uh, abuse in childhood. So that's why I was acting out. I felt neglected, abandoned, you know, uh, abused, all ignored, insignificant, all of those things. And so... Uh, when I was 11, I started drinking. And by the time I was 15, I was drinking every day. Wow. At 11. Yeah. And, it, and at 15, it was a full on daily getting drunk occurrence. Well, let me ask you, you started young. Was anybody in your immediate family an alcoholic? Yeah, my dad. Yeah. Well, both okay. of my brothers were like, they were older than me. So they had set the tone. But they were, you know, we had parties when my parents were gone all the time. I mean, I was like probably younger than 11 being a bartender, you know. Wow. Okay. So did your parents notice the behavior, the drinking, the, and what happened? Yeah. So my dad actually also had a drinking problem and he would never admit that he had a drinking problem. He's like, oh, I just drank too much. Yeah. You drink too much on a regular basis. And (laughs) And, and some people, you know, I get it. He didn't ever want to admit that he had a, a, was an alcoholic and that's fine. That was up to him. I mean, that was not my story to, to tell. Um, but I can tell you, he had a, definitely had a drinking problem and it was available and it was okay. I think my parents' mindset was, well, I'd rather have you drink at home and then be out and about and creating, you know, trouble or, you know, driving and hurting yourself or hurting someone else. So I think yeah. they were okay unfortunately, for the most part, we never got, um, uh, we never got in trouble for drinking or anything like that. And, you know, we'd always sneak my dad's beer. So that was kind of how it all started. Gotcha. Wow. 
11. Okay. So how did you, let's talk about a bit about how your experiences kind of unfold and how you started healing when you started making this kind of move towards, I need to do some deeper reflection and take it from this point and move forward in a more positive way, personally for yourself. What was like that, that turning point for you or that just that epiphany? Yeah, that's a really great question. So there was a couple of ones. So I'll talk about the um, drinking. So I started at 11. I got, uh, I was drinking daily at 15 and 16. I got a DUI. The next morning I woke up after the DUI and I said, you know, I'm a spiritual person. So I just said, okay, God, I'm done. I've messed my life up so much so far. So I give it to you. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean like miracle happened and I'm completely healed and life is beautiful. No, that means I, I was more aware of my, what I was doing and I slowed down a lot. I didn't quit completely, but I slowed down. When I was 23 is uh, when I met the um, awesome boyfriend, but who turned out to be abusive. He and I were drinking buddies. Like we would go out to the bars and we had such a great time. And about a year later into our relationship, he was like, you know, you do really stupid things when you're drunk. And that was it. I was done. Now what's crazy is that I literally, when he said that, I went to the refrigerator, opened it up, and there was beer in there. And I told the beer, I could never have another one of you again. Um, However, now I realize that he was actually um, projecting because he's the one who did the stupid things when we went out. Mm. And so he was the one who was flirting with other women and getting their phone numbers and all of that. And I didn't see that until I was sober. And I would go out and I would see it. Um, So that was one defining moment. And then jump ahead after 12 years of being with him, he was in a car accident and he uh, became, uh, had a brain injury, was in a coma, all of that. And I knew that that was my way out. Um, Some people are like, well, how could you leave when he was down? This was a progress, you know, it was a progression of year nine that I had tried to break up with him. And I literally heard this audible voice, like uh, sitting on the couch next to me, even though there wasn't anybody there saying not now, not now. And so three years later, I just feel like God answered that. And um, he's still alive. However, he's in a nursing home, he's in a wheelchair. And this was 11 plus years ago, almost 12 years ago now. And so but because of that, because I was absolutely like determined, like I am not going to repeat this um, choice, not going to repeat this. I need to know why I chose him, why I was in that relationship. I need to understand for me why it was easy to be in a relationship like it, like in the beginning, obviously not during all those years, but in the beginning. And I started counseling. I started reading books and two books that I recommend every woman to read is women who love too much and boundaries. Mm -hmm. completely instrumental in my healing, my recovery, everything. And it really got, gave me a chance to also like see my parents through a different set of eyes of instead of blaming them or shaming them for what they went through or what they put me through, what was it that they went through to mold them into who they were as parents? 
Right. Because you see cyclical patterns of behavior. And again, as you touched on, which is very insightful, you touched on, you didn't fully stop, but you changed your patterns. You changed your behavior. You slowed down significantly. And that's interesting because yes, those are learned behaviors as well as patterns that you then create. So you spoke to how you kind of halted that, where you took the responsibility and said, this is going to end. This is going to stop. And you decided how that was going to happen. And I like how you reflect back on your parents saying, I didn't blame them. They had their own patterns. That's not my story to tell. That's their story to tell. Your story is beginning now. Yeah. And and this is wonderful. I, I love your story and I love how you've touched on those growth moments, those enlightened moments. And so let's talk about a bit about how your experiences, training and wisdom together create a terrific foundation for you to help others as a fearless living coach. Yeah. So um, as you can hear, like I've learned from the trauma that I went through in order to make my life a treasure not just for me, but for other people. My dad, who, you know, we had years of not even speaking to each other in the last five years of his life, he became my best friend. And it was because of those defining moments that I learned about me and those books that I read. And I was like, wow. And I could see um, my parents through eyes of innocence, like, well, they're just a byproduct of their environments as well. So I, I started to just have conversations with my dad well, and my mom, well, actually all of my family, um, my brothers too, but specifically my dad, that, and be able to like say, dad, are you trying to manipulate me or are you being sarcastic? Like what, what, what's, what's going on behind that question or that, that statement? And he's like, what, 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 what are you talking about? Like, I can't even pronounce that. And I was like, I, I get it, dad. I couldn't pronounce the word vulnerable either. And I, I'm hearing that you probably want to actually be vulnerable, but you don't know how. Right. And he was like, I don't even know what that is. I go, I get it. But to have that conversation for him to actually literally be open was huge, yes. huge, huge, huge. Um, there's a term in the women who love too much. They call it emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. That's what my dad was for most of my life. Completely shut off, closed off never hugged, never said, I love you my whole childhood. And I think I was 18. And um, so to have that conversation, of course, now I'm in my, my, uh, I think it was late thirties to able to have that and to really like connect with him on a, such a human level. I thought, okay, I have, I've experienced this gift of transforming trauma into treasure and I would, I'm also a hairstylist too, by the way. Gotcha. And so I would have clients come and sit in my chair, you know, on a regular basis. And we'd have that conversation of what's been going on with you, what's been going on with you. So when it came to my turn, I'm like, oh, you're never going to believe what I just learned about myself. I learned that I'm sarcastic. I learned that I manipulate without even knowing that I manipulate or I can't even be vulnerable. And they're like, what are you talking about? So then I would explain to them and they're like, Wow. I didn't realize I was doing that in my relationship with maybe my boss or my coworker or, or my business partner or my, my son or, you know, even my, my spouse. 
And it was just like mind blowing to see them. They would go, um, you know, away for four to six weeks and they would come back and they're like, because of what we talked about, I changed this way I talked to them or I did this. And that changed their relationship. And I went, huh. So take me back to being a bully. If hurt people hurt people, I wonder if empowered people empower people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And here you are through your growth and what you're learning is you are creating change. It's kind of like when you throw that pebble in the water and those concentric circles start forming and here you are impacting people positively now because of your own personal growth, which is so exciting because you have this insight and let me just touch on this (laughs) a little bit. Yeah. Your insight, what allowed you to be the vulnerable one? What allowed you to say, I'm ready? What allowed you to say, I'm going to absorb this and I'm going to actually apply this to my life. I know it's a book and I believe that books actually help, but they're not going to change you. You're going to change you, right? Yeah. So what was that? Yes, I'm going to change. This is my time. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked because I can like remember it like almost like down to what I was wearing. <laughs> yeah. So it's those moments, yeah, you know, yeah. Those moments that are big for us. Yeah. And it's almost like you were coming out of the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, so uh, the women who love too much again, goes into emotionally unavailable and what that looks like, not only for you, but other people around you. Um, and so again, I highly recommend it for any woman to read this just to understand it, but also to understand where our how our parents shape us as adults and the choices that we make, number one. Because we've been conditioned many times to believe certain things. Our values and beliefs have been formed by our parents, grandparents, clergy, by our educators, by so many that we think we're living in congruence with our own values and beliefs. And many times we're not. Right. Many times we're fooled and conditioned into believing these are our, our values and we need to step aside from that and take a real strong look at, am I living by the values that I think I'm supposed to be living by? Right, right. Yeah. So I, I was reading this book and I got to say that I'm not endorsed by them by any means, but I just highly <laughs> recommend this book. So I read this book and they had like 15, 12 to 15, um, what do you call it? Like points that um, if you have these, you are a, a woman who loves too much. And I was like, when I first read it, like that list, I was like, oh, I have one or two. And by chapter eight, I was like, oh my God, I have all 15. <laughs> and so one of them was addiction to drama. So I had that in the back of my mind, like how many people in my life are so full of drama that they bring it to me that I literally now am noticing it and I'm choosing to walk away. Like, I don't have to participate in your drama. And I traveled to Florida to visit my brother and his new wife. And I'm just observing their relationship because I'm happy for him that he's married for the second time. And yet I feel and see that he's not happy. And so I really try to observe who she is and how she, and what she talks about and things like that. 
And she talked about her ex, she had several ex-husbands. She talked about her ex-husbands, her ex-husband's family, and not just like immediate family, like cousins and uncles and all of that, like all of this stuff. And I was like, okay, what does that have to do with me? And what does that have to do with my brother? And I was like, oh my gosh, my brother is emotionally unavailable. And then I went, oh my gosh, she's emotionally unavailable because she's completely out of touch and communicating with my brother. Like she needs to be, like they weren't even talking. Like literally I could count uh, how many times I actually were in the same room having a conversation. And I come home and I get home like early in the morning, I had an early morning flight and I literally open the door and bring in my suitcase and I lay on the floor. And I'm just so exhausted. I'm like, I am surrounded by emotionally unavailable people. I say, and I, you know, again, I'm a spiritual person. So I cry out to God. I'm like, God, so how am I going to know what, what, what the opposite of that looks like? And then it was like, well, I'm emotionally unavailable. So I don't know how to be emotionally available. So I got that message very clear. And then I said, okay, God, what do I do next? And it was, you have to practice being vulnerable. And, yeah. I, and I remember thinking, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because many times it's the simplest of things in regards to vulnerable. Wow. What does that even mean? Yeah. And people assume that others know what that means or what that looks like. And we need to take many steps back before we leap into being what being vulnerable and what that actually looks like, because that's different for every person. And some people don't realize it. They believe that they have to formulate, like we've always done, what courage is, what vulnerability is, what strength is, what all these things, we put these labels on it on to others, but it's us to define what that looks like for each one of us. And I like what you said about being addicted to drama. I talk about this all the time and people don't realize that there are chemicals that are produced in the brain, dopamine, that it's like a drug. Mm -hmm. And when you're around it and it's modeled for you and that's what you know, People get hyper, they get excited by the drama and they don't realize what's happening and how they're functioning through a chemical search because it's almost like you've depleted or there's a depression going on. You've depleted that dopamine and now you need to regain it. So the drama is helping lift that, lift your spirits and do things to your body and your brain that you just don't realize. And so it's really interesting how much you've touched on here based on your own personal growth and understanding and awareness. So let's move into fearless living coaching, what that is and how you help others. Yeah. Thank you. Great question. So uh, as a certified fearless living coach, I help um, really leaders and everybody's listening to this. I know they're a leader really identify what their trigger is. Um, We talked about vulnerable some people think vulnerable is weak. Um, some people think it's, uh, well, she's stupid or, you know, it's, it's those types of ideas that we get stuck in our head that we fear other people are thinking about us. And when we think that, then we get, that's a trigger. 
And then we go into a fear response. And our fear response could be, and I am so guilty of this, trying to control the outcome of things. And as women, and we wear a million hats, that's totally one of the things that we are doing is control. Um, but it also shows up in overthinking, procrastinating. Um, uh, gosh, I can't even think right now. There's so there's a plethora of ways that fear shows up. And when that doesn't stop that, that thought process of, well, who does she think she is? Or she's weak because she's asking for what she needs, you know, all of those things. It goes into a core negative feeling. And that is the worst of the worst feeling. You know, it feels like you're worthless, you're disappointed, you're insignificant. And then that provides the self-destructive behaviors, bullying, drinking too much, like over drinking, right? Overeating or denying yourself proper care. Like maybe you're not sleeping enough or, or taking care of yourself. So we go through that whole process. It's called the wheel of fear. And then we go through what's called the wheel of freedom, which is the antidote to the wheel of fear. And the wheel of freedom, we start off with identifying your essential nature. And the essential nature, which is such an amazing thing that Rhonda Britton really came up with, is it is the thing that you give so willingly to everyone else and deny yourself. And so it is things like trusting. You trust everyone, but you don't trust yourself. Mine personally is loving. Like I love everybody, but it's really hard for me to love myself. Um, compassion. You can be compassionate to everyone else, but it's hard to be compassionate to yourself. And when you do that, you automatically go into what's called the flow, right? You just automatically like you're, you don't like things just show up. Um, and for me, it, um, they call it a wholeness. And my wholeness is self-acceptance. And I know that when I am accepting who I am um, fully and completely and loving myself fully and completely, you walk around a different way, right? You show up in things differently, whether that be relationships, your business, your work, on stage, you know, your podcast, whatever it is that you're doing, you show up differently because you're not worried. You're not attached to the outcome of what people think of you. It's only about what you're doing for you. Absolutely. And I love that because a lot of times, I'm going to go back to what you said about that control. A lot of times I say, when we feel like we need to control everything is when we're probably the most out of control yeah. ourselves. Yeah. We're feeling a lot of turmoil, a lot of angst, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, a lot of things. Yeah. And people don't realize it. They can't see it because they're in it. So it's an opportunity many times for some enlightenment, just like the book did for you. You're like, aha, yeah. that was the first step. And it's like, whoa, well, the first step went to the back to 16 and it's okay. I'm doing something that's not so great for myself. Yeah. Yeah. How do I go you know, forward with this? How do I change my own behavior? So through this process, which I love, there's a core theme here. And the theme is personal responsibility. Oh, You've taken okay. personal responsibility from that day that you were like, aha, I'm 16. I got this DUI. I'm waking up and this is not what I want for my life. This is what I've seen modeled. This is how I feel, but yet this is not what I want. So that was a great awakening. Yeah. And then you go through that process of healing and those epiphanies of, whoa, I've been exposed to this. I was modeled. This was modeled for me, but it's still on me to do something about it. 
And then you get into, as you said, you finally get into those choices that you're making that are healthy for you. And then it opens up and then there's that flow. There's that vibration. You're vibrating yeah, differently. Totally. So I, I absolutely love your story. Can you just touch on briefly your podcast, the power of investing in people? Yeah. So you've listened to my story. So what I found yes. was when I invest in myself, it automatically overflowed. And remember I said, empower, what if does empowering people empower people? And I realized there was not a podcast out there really touching on that. And you had also talked about the circles in the water. So it's like the ripple effect, right? Right. So my goal in every conversation I have is to talk to a leader, whether it be a, a small business owner or someone in the military who have experienced an obstacle and they've invested in themselves and it automatically overflows onto their family, their business, their community. And that is called the power of investing in people because it sounds like you're investing in the people and don't, I mean, believe me, people invest in, in my conversations. They do amazing things within in their community and their business and, and their family. What's amazing is it all seems to start like what you just said with that personal responsibility. It starts with them investing in themselves in what, some way, shape or form. I love that you've created that platform for, to, for people to talk about how they've invested in themselves. Now, my last question, as we're coming to the end of the interview, I always like to ask folks featured on the Corwin podcast, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Mm. So what's coming to me right now is invest in yourself. Ask yourself the question, what is it that I don't know that I need to know in order to move forward? And then explore and, and by investing in yourself in, in different things. It could be a coach, could be a counselor, could be books, could be, you know, listening to, to your podcast summer. It could be literally anything, but any time that you invest in yourself, it's so much value. Yeah. Well, thank you, Shay, for joining me on the core woman podcast today. Thank you. And I can't wait to have you on mine as well. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Shay Sparks, you can find her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and at shaysparks.com. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at infocorewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women Home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.